grab a Bible, turn to the 23rd Psalm. We are uh, in a series called The Good Life, and uh, that's where we've been over the past few weeks. We've just been walking verse by verse uh, through, this, uh, through this amazing psalm. And if I were to summarize this, this psalm in a sentence, or, um, you know, or this sermon, I should say, in a sentence, it would be that when, you know, when you know, God is good when, when things are great, and God is good when things are not great. You know, that, that God is good when we're on the mountaintop and, and God is good uh, when we are down in the valley. And so today we're going to be talking about life's valleys. And what's interesting, uh, Scripture mentions a lot of different geographical valleys um, throughout Genesis through Revelation. So it mentions a lot of significant things that happen in literally physical valleys, but it also uses the word valley in a metaphorical way, right? So it'll talk about um, how life is filled with valleys, right? Seasons of struggle and adversity and, and just seasons of difficulty in our life. And so that's what we want to look at today. Now, I'll tell you, because you, you, know, you know this, right? Advertising executives try to convince us that we can live life on the mountaintop. Uh, that we that that you know that we can achieve the mountaintop living right. Um, that if you just buy the right house and the right car, and you wear the right clothes, and you run around with the right people, and you live in the right neighborhood, and um, you know you have all the things that the world says that you can have the good life, and then that good life will put you on the mountaintop. And what we know is that life just doesn't match that. You know, life doesn't really coincide with what. Hollywood and what Madison Avenue tells us uh, so much. You know, much of life is just ordinary. You you know, much of our life is just lived in the valley. It really is. And if you're blessed to have a mountaintop experience, you need to praise God for that because they're often few and far between. That's, that's That's just the normal life. And I don't know what kind of valley you're going through right now. You know, it could be marital. It could be financial. It could be physical. Uh, it could be spiritual, it could be emotional. Uh, but I would bet that most of us would say we're in a valley today. We're in some kind of season of adversity. And if that's where you are, then there is really good news for you. Because we can know the goodness of God in the valleys of life. And that's what David is talking about. And that's what we want to talk about today. So I want to invite you to, uh, if you're willing and able, would you stand uh, once more for the reading of, of God's holy word today. We're going to read through the entire psalm again. So David writes this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, obviously we're going to be focusing on verse 4 and where he talks about, this is probably the most well-known part of the 23rd Psalm where he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Now, as I look at that, I, and as I was looking at it this week, I just, 
I come to a passage, I come to a verse, and I, I just look at it and I ask the question, what's he trying to say to me? What's, what's the point that he's trying to make? And so you just take a step back and look at it. And I think there's two things in verse 4 that he wants to communicate to us. And I think, I think the first one is this, the reality of life's valleys. I think you and I are going to experience the reality of life's, life's dark valleys. I think David understood that. But, but he also doesn't just stay there. He points us to the security that we have in life's dark valleys. And he points us to the shepherd. So, so we're going to talk about the reality and then the security of life's dark valleys. So let's look at the first one, the reality. All right, now when you just look at this psalm, and we've mentioned this before as well, right? This is, this is a psalm of confidence, you know, David is experiencing, you know, a, tr a tremendous season of blessing and prosperity and rest in his life. And I think he has pulled back and he's kind of looking at, you know, the wide angle lens of his life. And I think he realizes that he is in a good place. And he's meditating on how God, is, how God has been good to him. I think he's thinking about it. And I think he, what he does is he poetically expresses it in, the, in this psalm. And he's, he's just expressing how God has been good in his life. But there's something even more there than just that. There's a wisdom that David has. There's a perspective that David has. And it's perspective that I want us to have as it relates to, you know, the reality of, of life's dark valleys. And it's this. He fully expects that season, this current season that he's in, to come to an end. And he's good with that. He just knows that, you know, life is filled with ups and downs, right? He knows what it means to be in the protection of the shepherd, but he also knows to be in the protection of the shepherd means there are going to be times when he's exposed to danger. That's just life. And he's okay with that. Again, he has a realistic perspective of where life is. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm good. And he's very sober when it comes to the fact that we have to walk through life's valleys, right? We can't avoid them. We can't detour around them. It's, it, it happens to all of us. And, and I think what he would say to us is something very similar that Peter, the apostle, says to us in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. And that is this, you know, when you walk through a valley, don't be surprised, because I think for a lot of us, the struggle when we go through a season of adversity, we're, we're, we're just kind of shocked by it. You know, we're just kind of taken aback, if you will. It's like, why is this happening? I, I don't understand why I'm in this. And, and, and I think a lot of us, half the struggle with the valley that we're walking in is because we're surprised by it. But notice what he says. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the, fire, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So what Peter's trying to do is he's trying to write to his readers, basically saying, listen, it's a part of the deal. It's just a part of being life, being alive. And you don't need to be surprised when you go through a trial. In fact, what he says is do the very thing that you don't feel like doing in, in the midst of, of a you know, valley, and that is what? Rejoice, right? You never feel like rejoicing in the midst of it. And, um, and so he says, we need to rejoice. We don't rejoice in the midst of, oh God, I just thank you that I just lost my job. Oh man, I'm so excited about that. You know, we're, we're, not, 
We're not rejoicing at bad things happening to us. What we're doing is we're rejoicing in the grace of Jesus Christ because we know he walked through the very same valleys. And that not only he walked through them, but he's walking us through them and we will see his glory at the end. That's what 1 Peter is telling us. And so I think that's really good news, church. And just, I mean, just really, the bot, let me just bottom line it for us today. There are going to be times in your life when you're depressed and you're discouraged and you're distracted and you're defeated and you're just down. But you know what? God is good and Lord over all of that anyway. And you can rejoice in that. Does that make sense? That's really, really good news. And so, and so that's, what he's, that's what he's talking about here. He's, he's talking about valleys. He's fully aware. He's been through. And he's very much, David has, walked through the valley of the shadow of death, like literally stared death in the face. And church, one thing that I would say is that's one valley we're all going to walk through. We're all going to face death. You know, if Jesus doesn't come back, we're going to walk through that very valley. And I think it's God's way of reminding us that we're not in control. That God owns our life. Our first day belongs to him and our last day belongs to him. And we submit to his sovereignty in that. And so we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But there's good news there too, right? Jesus, Jesus walked through it and he's going to walk us through it and so we're not going to detour around it I think you know as you think about the reality of you know life's valleys I think what makes them hard is they're unpredictable because I you know I don't know about you I'm kind of a control freak I like to have this false sense that I'm in control or whatever but I'm really not and so wouldn't it be great if you could control the seasons of adversity that you're going through you're like this wouldn't be a good time. This wouldn't be a good time, you know. Uh, valleys usually come upon us at the worst possible time. Have you noticed that? Like at the worst time, you're having a great day, and boom, one phone call, and the entire day changes, and you're, you're caught off guard. You're, un, you're unprepared because they are very much unpredictable. I mean, and, and I even think, you think about the Hurricane Michael that hit the Gulf Coast, you know, they thought they had that storm figured out. And then the last 12 to 24 hours, it picked up 10 to 15 mile an hour winds unexpectedly. They had no idea. And it jumped from category three to almost a category five. And it, and it was one of the strongest storms, you know, to hit our nation in, in history. The point of that is this, that, val that valleys are just like those. You just can't predict them. And so... What we do is we trust God in the midst of them. And even Solomon in Proverbs understood that. Look at, look at what he says in Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. None of us know, none of us have any idea what tomorrow holds. But we do know the shepherd is with us. And I think that's what David, that's what David is mentioning to us. I, I think another thing that I think really is challenging when it comes to the reality of life's dark valleys is that they are really impartial. They're impartial. I think that we are tempted to have a sense of, well, I'm really doing good in my walk with God, you know. Uh, I'm praying and reading my Bible and I'm going to church, you know. Uh, I'm doing all these good things. And so because I'm doing that, that should exempt me from valleys. And that's just, it's just not true. 
And so, and so I, think, I think we need to come to understand just how impartial, you know, life's valleys are. And Jesus alluded to this, you know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so the truth is, church, valleys are a part of all of our lives. If you're following Jesus, and if you're not, they're a part of the deal. And that's what we learn in scripture. You know, the interesting thing about the book of Job, it's, it's, it's kind of a challenging book, but um, there's, a, there's a simple message at the core of the book of Job. Because if you know anything about Job, you know that he is a God follower. He, he trusts in God. He walks with God. He's a righteous man. And then his life is devastated, you know, with disaster. And he loses his family. He loses his health. He loses his business. He loses everything. And so Job's friends come to him to give him counsel and advice. And they basically give him a really bad theology that says, the reason why, Job, all this stuff happened to you is because there's sin in your life and you need to get rid of that sin and then everything will clear. You'll come out of the valley. And what that is, church, is it's really bad theology because the point of the book of Job is this, that valleys happen to the unrighteous and the righteous, that they're a part of life, that they're, that they're an inescapable part of what it means to be alive in a fallen, sin-sick, sin-cursed world that we live in. In other words, you know, disasters and tragedies happen. And it, it, interestingly enough, in the book of Job, Job never answers the why question. Like that's the one question we want to know. Like why do we have to do this? Why do, we, why do people suffer? Never answers it. What we see is that God is good in the midst of it. And that if we'll trust in him, he will see us through. But we never get that why question. And we probably won't till eternity. So I think that's, I think David has this perspective. I think he's, I think he's pretty, he's been around the block, like I said, a few times. And he's pretty sober in this. And I think he wants us to be that, have that same kind of perspective. Now, you know, as you're thinking about the reality of dark valleys, what are the different kinds of valleys that we will walk through in the course of our life? You know, I mentioned, you know, throughout scripture, there are a number of different geographical valleys that are listed, okay? You know, scores of them uh, throughout the Holy Land and, and, there, and so many significant things happened, you know, historically and uh, geographically in these valleys. I think that they correspond, some of them correspond to the valleys that you and I will walk through. All right, let me, can I just give you four real, real quick? Um, there is in Genesis 14, the Valley of Sedim, or Sedim, I should say. And uh, if you like, like war movies and Saving Private Ryan, you like that kind of stuff, Genesis 14 is your chapter, okay? Uh, because what you have is you have an alliance of four different armies, four different countries joining together and attacking uh, an alliance of five, and they're, they're battling over the Holy Land, right? So Israel's not a nation at the time, uh, but it was occupied at that time. So you have these four nations attacking this five. And so it's something significant happens in the Valley of Sedim, and I think it's kind of a parallel to the valleys we go through. Let me, let me just show you how it applies in Genesis 14. Let me just show it to you. So now the Valley of Sedim was full of bitumen pits, all right? So tar pits, basically. 
And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, okay, they were getting routed, and they hightailed it out of there. Some fell into them, into the tar pits, all right? This is interesting. And the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all of the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah. So they captured the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, captured all of the, you know, the, the, the valuables there and all of their provisions, which is food and livestock, captured the whole thing. That's what you did. Winter takes everything, right? And then they also took Lot, which was the son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in, you know, in Sodom and his possessions and they went their way, all right? Now, I'm not going to tell you the story of what happened there, but Abram, God is with Abram. And, and so Abram rallies a few hundred soldiers, kind of elite guys, and he goes and kicks butt and takes names and rescues his nephew Lot. And, and that's a whole other story. But the point for us is this. The reaction, the reaction of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah are very similar to our reaction in life. Let me, let me show you this. Notice that the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell into the tar pits and got stuck. Doesn't that sound fun? That sounds really fun. Now you're like, what, are you, what in the world are you talking about? What I think the valley of Sedim is, I think it's the valley of failure. That's what I think it is. Because here you have these, you know, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and their, you know, their generals, their, their responsibility is to be leading their country in battle, protecting their country, and they're running from responsibility. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And as a result, they're, they're fleeing their responsibility, and they fall into these tar pits and get stuck. And I think what it is, is it's a, it shows us the valley of failure in our Christian life. That there are times when God is calling us to do something, and what do we do? We don't do it. You know, as a husband, as as a wife, as a parent, you know, as a student, we know that God has a will for us. We know he's calling us to do something and we're not doing it. We're walking in disobedience to what he has called us to do. We're not fulfilling the responsibility that he has given us. And it could be an addiction, right? It It could be a sinful habit in your life. It could be a bad relationship that's pulling you down. It could be any number of things. And what happens is we make, you know, these wrong choices and we start feeling guilty and we start feeling stuck and we feel ashamed. And that, that's the valley of failure. That's what it is. That's the valley of failure. And so the question is, how do you get out of these tar pits, right? Well, Jesus is the way, all right? Look at, let me show you Romans 8. Paul says this, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? For the, for the law, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law and sin of death. What Paul is saying is you don't have to, you don't have to get stuck in those, star pit, those tar pits. Uh, you can get out. I said star pits. That doesn't even make sense, does it? Um, you, you look to Jesus. There's no condemnation. The Spirit of God has set you free. So you don't, like, you don't have to live under the tyranny of guilt and shame. All right? So that's the Valley of Sedim. Then there's the Valley of Eshcol. All right? The Valley of Eshcol is in Numbers 13. You don't have to turn there. But it's, it's really the story of Moses trying to get the people ready to possess the promised land. 
So God has promised to give the people the land of Israel, the land, the, the land of Palestine there. And it's going to be a land of blessing, bountiful blessing. So God's trying to move the people of Israel into this land. So what Moses does, and he does this in the Valley of Eshcol, he, he, he recruits 12 spies to go into the Valley of Eshcol and spy it out. Because they've not seen it before. They're not familiar with who's there. They want to go eyeball it out. And they like what they see. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Grapes are huge. It is, it is a land of blessing. The only problem is the people there are very strong and very big, and their cities are fortified. So Moses waits for the report from the spies, and it's a mixed report. And 10 of them say, Moses, it's unbelievable. It is amazing, but there's no way we can conquer it. And Joshua and Caleb were like, are you kidding me? Yeah, we can. God's with us. We're gonna, we can do this. And so what does Moses get? He gets a mixed report, doesn't he? And, and, and as I look at this valley of Eshcol, what I see is a valley of fear. And maybe you're in a valley of fear today. You know, maybe, you know, maybe God you know, has allowed certain circumstances to come into your life right now and you're forced with the question, am I going to trust God or am I going to give up? Am I going to believe God or am I going to give up in discouragement? Am I going to believe the promises of God or am I going to doubt the promises of God? That's the valley of fear. And I don't know where you are today, I don't know what kind of mixed report you may have gotten this week. You may have gotten a mixed report from your child's teacher from the conference, you know, from, from your conference with the, your child's teacher. It could be that you got a mixed report from the doctor or a mixed report from your boss, whatever it is. The question is this, when you're in the valley of the fear, are you going to trust God or doubt God? That's it. That's the bottom line. And God wants us to trust him. He lets us walk through the valleys of fear to strengthen our faith. And so you see this in Romans 8.31. How, how do you get out of the valley of fear? You get out of that valley by trusting Jesus. Look at, look at Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? In the middle of the valley. If God is for me, who can be against me? I can trust in him. All right, there's another type of valley. And I've actually been in this valley. This is the Valley of Elah. It is 1 Samuel 17. You don't have to turn there. This is the place you should, you should have a little bit of experience with this place. This is the place where David faced Goliath. And let me just, let me show you what happened in 1 Samuel 17. Let's, let's read verses two through three. Um, the writer of Samuel says this, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and they drew up uh, in line of battle against the Philistines. So the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, um, six cubits and a span, we think that's about nine feet tall. This guy was huge. Goliath was absolutely huge. I think the Lakers drafted him in the first round. I really do. Uh, but he's absolutely huge. And so instead of the, both armies going at it and there's a lot of bloodshed, they're just thinking, all right, let's just make this simple. Let's pick our best guy. You pick your best guy. And then winner takes, winner takes everything. Sounds a little bit 
risky to me, but let's do it. So that's what they do. And you know what happens? The people of God are afraid. They are absolutely beside themselves. Look at verse 11. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And they were hearing the words of Goliath. He was really talking trash. So they're scared. And uh, David hears about this. David's a teenager, basically. And David trusts in God. And David says, nobody talks to God's people like that. I will fight him. And uh, people laugh at him at first, but he means business. And you know the rest of the story. Now, my question is this, what is that? What's the Valley of Elah? It's the Valley of Conflict, isn't it? You have an opponent. You have, you have an enemy. You, you, have, you have a difficulty in your life. You have some kind of conflict, some kind of challenge that you're, you're facing. It could be with your spouse, right? It, it could be with a coworker. It could be with a family member. It could be with a friend. What do you do when you find yourself in the valley of conflict? Well, again, you trust Jesus, right? You turn to Jesus. Look at Romans 8, 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Means that there are times when we feel like we're not loved by God. But we don't live by feelings. We live by the truth. That's what Paul is saying. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not not tribulation, he says, not distress, persecution, famine, uh, nakedness or danger of the sword. No, he says, in all of these things, we are. We are like David. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, Jesus is the giant slayer. And so we put our trust in Jesus when we find ourselves in the valley of conflict. He will make us more than conquerors. We, will, we can conquer that you know, fear, the anxiety, the heartache that goes along with you know, that, that conflict brings. And so that's what he's saying. Now there's one more valley that I want to I share with you. And it's, it's the valley of Bacah. All right, Bacah. Will you say that with me? Bacah. All right, very good. You learned a Hebrew word today, all right? So, so Bacah in Hebrew means to weep. And what we see in Psalm 84 is the valley of Bacah. We see the valley of weeping. And notice how the psalmist puts it. Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacah, the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. As they go through the valley of Bacah, the early rain covers it with pools. Now the valley of Bacah was an actual valley in scripture. It was a dry, arid, dusty valley. There's you know, hardly any vegetation, no water there. And, and so... It just reminds me that sometimes, and it could be you today, that we are walking through the valley of weeping and we don't feel God's presence. We don't sense his closeness. We don't have desires and for God. We pray and it bounces off the ceiling, right? Or it seems like it does. That's the valley of weeping. You know, you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're grieving over loss of someone in your life. It's the valley of weeping. And so what the psalmist points us to is in the midst of that dryness, the springs are flowing. They flow. How do they flow? They flow from Jesus. Look at John 7, 
37, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, the good news of the gospel is even in the valley of weeping, we can know the streams of living water that come from Jesus. So, I don't know what valley you're in right now, but I do know this. What David wants us to see is there's security in the valley. Why? Because of the shepherd. The shepherd makes all the difference. He makes all the difference. You see, there's there's a transition that has happened in the 23rd Psalm. I don't, I don't know if you picked up on it. There's, there's, a, there's a transition from third person to second person, all right? And what do I mean by that? You know, the first three verses, he's talking about, you know, he's talking, you know, about God. And he's talking about God in the third person. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. David is talking about God, but there's a transition. David is no longer in the green pastures. He's no longer beside still waters. David is seeing himself now in the valley of the shadow of death. He's no longer talking about God. He's talking to God. He's going second person, more intimate. For I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. You see the change in the psalm? And what that transition and change reveals is that he is, he is aware of God's presence with him. That God walks with him in the valley. He understands that valleys are a normal part of life. But what he also understands is that the shepherd is also with him in the valleys of life. David knows the security that comes from the shepherd. That's why he can say with confidence, you are with me. And I will fear no evil. I think that's what he's saying. You know, I was reading about Stephen Curtis Chapman and he if you don't know Stephen Curtis Chapman, he's a, a longtime Christian musician and uh, just has a platform all over the world uh, with his music and, and really his message. Many of you know that a, num- a number of years ago, he, one of his daughters was tragically killed in a car accident. And uh, he shares in his book, uh, the book is titled uh, Between Heaven and the Real World, where he, he talks about the weeping that he went through in this season of his life. And he talks about how, you know, Jesus tells us in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And this is what he says. He says, if I didn't believe that, he said, I would be extremely bitter and angry. He said, my little, my little girl's death underlined and solidified what I knew and believe, but it made it more real to me, he said. He said, when there's nothing else to hold on to, I heard myself say, God, I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to trust you. And not because there's an audience watching, he said. I'm going to bless your name whether you give or whether you take away, he said. He said, previously I'd gone 50 feet below sea level. And I thought it was dark down there. But I also learned that God was with me down there. Now I'm pushed 100,000 feet below sea, sea level where it was darker than I could even imagine. And I found the very same thing is true. God was with me. He was with me in the valley. See, I think what he's talking about is this. 
He's talking about what David is talking about. That the shepherd is not distant. He's not detached. He's not aloof. He's close, even when you're in the valley. And so that's what he wants us to see. He wants, David wants us to see three very simple things. He wants us to see the presence of the shepherd, the power of the shepherd, and then the promise of the shepherd. Let me, let me just show you the power of the shepherd real fast. Notice, notice the power of the shepherd. He says this, I'm, I'm not, I fear no evil because you're with me. You're with me in the valley. But your rod and staff bring comfort to me because of their power. Now what's going on with the rod and staff? What, what the shepherds would do when they're watching over flocks of sheep, they would go into the woods, they would pull out a sapling, they would trim off the branches and shape it into, into a rod. And one of the ends was particularly heavy, and the other end would be a lot thinner and lighter. And what the shepherds would do is they would hold the rod as they were tending to the sheep, and then predators would come upon the sheep, and what would the shepherds do? They would beat off, they would fend off the predators with the rod. And I think what David is alluding to is the fact that he did that so many times, protecting his flock. And he's mindful that God does the same thing with us, that, that he protects us in the midst of whatever valley we may be walking through. So it, it could be the valley of temptation, right? And what David understands is he knows that he has the shepherd's protection in the midst of that valley, he knows that no temptation has seized him except what is common to every person and that the shepherd is faithful. He will not let him be tempted beyond what he can bear. And when he is tempted, he'll provide a way out. That's the power of the shepherd. And so when you and I are walking through the valley, we need to remember the, pro the presence and we need to remember the power of the shepherd. It's, interestingly enough, another tool that a shepherd would use would be like a rod, but it had a curved end to it. And so what this staff, as what they'd call it, the function of the staff would be to keep, to keep the sheep right on line. So a lot of times, you know, the sheep would just kind of drift away from the flock or they'd drift down into a ditch. They'd drift into a thicket of, you know, briars and they'd get stuck. And so what the shepherd would do is he would use the staff to rescue the sheep from, you know, really their own dumb choices. And to me, that's, that's a reminder of grace, isn't it? That when I do stupid things and get myself caught in a, in a tar pit, that he rescues me out of that. That's the power of the shepherd. All right, but there's one more. There's the promise of the shepherd. And the news gets even better. Look at John 10. Notice what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is a promise that the shepherd makes. It's the promise that nothing can separate us from God's love if we're in Christ Jesus, nothing. Not the worst valley, not the most difficult season. Nothing can separate us from his love. And I think, I think David realizes this. I think that's forming David's perspective and it's the, it's the foundation of his confidence. And I think that's why he can say, hey, I, I'm good. I'm not gonna be afraid because I know my shepherd is with me. Does everybody get that? Isn't that awesome news? We've got, we have the presence and the, 
the promise and the power of the shepherd. Now let me just, let me share with you one story and then I'm done. I don't know if you've ever heard the name uh, Donald Barnhouse, but uh, he was the longtime pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in uh, Philadelphia. And he, uh, he lost his wife. Um, she died at a, at, tragically at a, at a, at a, in a young age. And so she left him to raise uh, their two young daughters. And um, Barnhouse did something I, I, I don't think I could ever do. Um, he did his, his own wife's funeral. And, um, and so he was driving his girls to the funeral. They were in the car and they were obviously struggling with everything. He was struggling with it. So he's trying to figure out how do I, what words of comfort can I give? And so they pull up to a stoplight and it's a bright, crisp, sunny day. And they're at the stoplight in the car and a truck pulls up right next to them. It's a big truck. And the shadow of the truck envelops their car. And so Barnhouse looks at his girls and say, girls, he said, would you rather be hit by a shadow or would you rather be hit by a truck? And one of his girls said, daddy, that's a silly question. Shadows can't hurt you. A truck can hurt you. He looked at his daughters and he said, that's exactly right. Mommy's been hit by a shadow. And he said, Jesus got hit by the truck so that she and we wouldn't have to be. We only get hit by the shadow. You know, when I thought about that, I thought that's the gospel, isn't it? That's it in the nutshell. That even though we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because Jesus let the truck hit him so that we wouldn't have to be hit by it. That's what you're, that's, that's your shepherd. That's the shepherd walking you through the valley you're going through right now. That's the shepherd who's made a promise. That's the shepherd who has all power. That's, that's the presence of the shepherd you can enjoy. Doesn't mean the valley is easy and it doesn't mean the valley is fun, but it does mean this. The shepherd loves you and he laid down his life for you. He's going to pull you through that valley so that you see his glory on the other side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's amazing how relevant these words are written 3,000 years ago. They could, have been, they could have been written today. God, thank you for the hope that we have, the security that we have in you, our shepherd. Thank you that if we're in Christ, we are, we are in your arms. Lord, if we're in you, we, we know that you are in us. And we may feel alone, but we don't live by our feelings. We live by the truth. God, thank you for that. And I just ask that, Lord, as the shepherd, you would just give us this same perspective, this same confidence to know that we have joy in the midst of the valley. We have, we have hope in the midst of the valley that, God, that you're gonna see us through. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage 
that you would fill us with faith, that you would give us peace in the valley. Lord, we give you, we give you honor today. I just want you to just take a minute and I want you to respond. Just silently, just in your, in your own heart. I want you to take a minute and pray to your shepherd. And whatever valley you may be going through, whatever difficulty, whatever season of hardship you're going through, take a minute and say, Jesus, you're my shepherd and I trust you. Would you just let that be your prayer right now? Would you just take a minute and do that silently right where you are? God, we rejoice in you. You promise never to leave us. You're always with us. We affirm that today. God, we, we just love you in Jesus' name.